So we're, we're up to Matthew chapter 7 and part 2 and uh, in verses 1 to 12 we, we looked at judging and the command not to judge hypocritical judgment. Yeah, that was the point, wasn't it, is that we shouldn't be judging with hypocritical judgment and we looked at different ways that people do that. Uh, we looked at giving holy things to dogs, casting your pearls to swine and, and for me, you know, seeing that dogs are likened to, to what the Bible calls or is used interchangeably with sodomites, um, for me that's what it's talking about there. Um, we, we looked at the, the promises and also the conditions of prayer as well. Um, and you know, not there are promises there, but there are certain conditions to when you pray as well. Um, treating people how you'd want to be treated at the end of that. And, and we're basically, right now, we're in the final chapter of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus now, having given all these different sort of, you know, truths and, and commands, etc., he then goes into a hard truth here before his conclusion. He starts with uh, from verse 13 where it says, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is a gate, and broad is a way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is a gate, and narrow is a way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. I'd like to just pray before we continue here. So, Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this great chapter. Please help me to preach it accurately. Help me to preach it boldly, Lord. Fill me with your spirit, please, so I could just preach what you'd want me to preach. Um, help people to just have attentive ears now. Please help them to, to just stay wide awake. Um, you know, it's a midweek service, it's late in the evening, it's, it's been a hard, hot day. Please help everyone to just pay attention now to what you've got to say to them. In Jesus' name we pray all of this. Amen. Amen. Okay, so the Lord Jesus Christ is warning them here of how popular the false way is. Because it's very popular, isn't it? And the false way ultimately is work salvation, isn't it? That's what the false way is. It's wrapped up in many different ways. It has different, different coloured packaging, different wrapping paper, different ribbons, different bows but it's all just work salvation one way or another, isn't it? However little the work seem to be or however great they seem to be, whichever order they seem to be, it's all work salvation and that's ultimately what we deal with, isn't it? We just deal with work salvation in one way or another and, and now and again you get the person that, that claims that they don't believe in any God whatsoever, but usually they say something like, well, if there was a God, and then a lot of the time it will be, well, I think I would go to heaven because I'm a good person or something like that. And it ultimately just seems to come down to work salvation. But there's a funny thing here, isn't there? Because here he's making it clear that it is very broad that way. But I don't know about you, but I remember when I first got saved, I was just assuming that there's all these Christians around, you know, and, oh, the guy's got a cross, you know. <laughs> oh, great, you know, start trying to talk to him about God and the Bible, and they just seemed like so put off by me. And, it, you know, it's a bit of a kind of harsh truth that you start learning that it really is a narrow way, isn't it? And, and, and I mean, you'll have people that, you know, uh, have crosses go to church and they don't even believe in heaven. Or you have people that have all that stuff and, or, you know, they don't even believe that or they claim they don't believe there necessarily is a God. Well, I like angels and stuff, you know. And then you get the ones that claim to be Christians. And as we kind of, you start narrowing it down more and more, you know, and then you're like, well, at least, you know, at least there's Baptists, aren't there? At least there's Baptists around. But then you soon learn that, well, even in this country, the majority of what we call Baptists aren't saved. The majority of them are Baptist Union Church. I had a guy that I knocked on the door in South End, which got angry pretty quickly about me trying to preach the gospel to him, and started telling me that if we're not a Baptist Union Church, we're not Baptists, apparently, which was quite bizarre. Because <laughs> part of the distinguishing parts of being a Baptist is being an independent church, isn't it? But um, 
you know, it's lost on these people. But why is it so straight and narrow? Why is it so straight? Now, one of the big reasons is pride, isn't it? And, and that's probably, I would say, the biggest issue we come up against is pride. Pride that their version of religion, you know, that they've been good enough, they've done enough, they've learned enough, they've understood enough, they're wise enough or whatever it is to get to heaven and ultimately without the need of a saviour. And it so often comes down to pride, but Proverbs 16, 18 says, pride goeth before destruction and an haughty spirit before a fall. And look, it, it, pride isn't a good thing, is it? And pride blocks so many people from getting saved. But before we get all prideful about how humble we are, because people do get prideful about how humble they are. Well, lucky I was humble enough to get saved, right? Yeah, which isn't humble, is it? Um, maybe you were just fortunate enough to hear the gospel at a humble point in your life, right? And, and praise God for that, because I know looking back, it just happened to be a humble part time in my life when I heard the gospel and maybe at many other times in my life I probably wouldn't have been humble enough to hear the gospel and, and praise God that that happened but but why did that well that was thanks to someone preaching you the gospel and now for me it was it was a video on YouTube and maybe for others here it might have been that as well but praise God that there was someone there that was willing to do that and 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 put that out and try and get that out there and put the effort into that and for many people as we know it's it's us knocking on the door and happening to to ho hopefully knock at the door when they're at a humble enough point and it's kind of comes down to a numbers game doesn't it and we've got to get out there we've got to knock those doors to get those people because the more doors you knock the more likely you're going to reach someone at a humble point in their life and that's a lot of the time when it comes down to it doesn't it um but that, with that there's then that therefore another reason why the the way is so narrow is because there's so few going out and showing what the way is and that's the sad truth, isn't it? It's the sad truth that there are so few people, there are so few people that are saved going out and showing other people how to get saved. And that's pretty tragic, isn't it? And that's another reason why the, why the way is narrow. It's not just because, oh, well, they just weren't humble. You know, a lot of it is because there aren't people going out and preaching the gospel. And, you know, again, you know, we could go into that, but we're not going to. Um, but there's another truth here, obviously, as well, that even amongst Baptists, like we said, even amongst, even amongst, I would say independent fundamental Baptists, there are a few that are saved. And, and we've had that in this country, we've noticed that, haven't we, with what are independent fundamental Baptist churches, and you start talking to people there, and they believe that they've got to repent of their sins. They believe that they had to turn away from sin to get saved. Their, their pastor eventually admits that he believes that at some point along the line, and, and, and that, the, the, the longer you live as a saved man or woman or child of God here, the more you realise how narrow that way is. Yeah, how narrow, and it's, it's sad, isn't it? It's sad how narrow it is, because at the beginning, I think maybe if you learnt that in the beginning, how narrow it is, it would probably be a much harder truth to take, wouldn't it? And the more we grow and the, more, and the stronger we get and the more strength we get, the more we start to understand how narrow the truth, the way of truth really is. But then you get to a new independent fundamental Baptist church, you get to a church of soul winners, but then you can make the, uh, the mistake of just assuming, therefore, that everyone's saved. And many people can do that as well. And, and not realise that the way is even narrower than that. You could be in a church with people listening to the gospel, going out and preaching that gospel, and even then, there's a lot of people there that aren't actually saved, and even worse than that. Um, but that's what we want to talk about here, because then in verse 15, Jesus Christ said, beware of false prophets 
which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Now, did he say beware of false prophets which come to you with a whopping great sign on their forehead saying, I'm a false prophet? He didn't say that, did he? No, they come in sheep's clothing. But it is an interesting point here. What, what is considered a sheep can vary amongst the uneducated, can't it? So, for example, I don't know, I'll choose one of my children here. Maybe my, my boy Charlie is probably just about getting there. But before that, he would, you know, he would look at maybe a cow and think it was a sheep. Yeah, and he would look at something else and maybe go, what noise do cows make? And he'd say, bah, or something like that. Yeah, and for him, it's, it's a bit harder to spot, right? Because he's uneducated, because he doesn't understand these things, because he's young, yeah? And we're not going to be too mean about Charlie about this, because, you know, he's a, he's, a, he's a young child and many young children are the same. Now, if I came home one day with maybe, a, maybe my youngest boy, James, and I came home in maybe a fairly good expensive pig outfit, James could be convinced that I was a sheep, yeah? They could be, he could have his brother and sister going, he's a sheep, and he'd be like, sheep, sheep, you know? Now, is that a slight on James? No, he's young, he's, he's a baby, he doesn't really understand, right? But we could convince him, even in a pig outfit, that I'm a sheep. Now, in a way, it's the same with the Catholic priest, isn't it? It's the same with the rabbi. It's the same with the imam. That people are actually looking at them and thinking that they are one of Christ's sheep. Well, at least when it comes to the, to the Catholic priest. The, the Jews think that this is one of God's sheep when they look at the, the rabbi. The, the Muslims think that, that it's some whatever they call their, you know, their, their, their version of being one of God's people. They'll think that when they look at the imam. But basically, they're even less than the baby, aren't they? Because they're not even spiritual babies. They have no idea, yeah? So they just see this, that's a picture. Oh, they see a guy, we, we were looking at some the other day, walking down the street in basically a dress with a, some funny little hat on, but because it's a white dress and he's got some pajama pants underneath, they're like, that's a holy guy. But we look at this Muslim imam, whatever you want to call it, and just thinking, that is some wicked, wicked pervert. What is he doing dressing like that? And look, because it's the uneducated, isn't it? But as the kids learn more, the outfits have to get better, don't they? So as my children get older, I can't turn up in a pig outfit and convince them I'm a sheep. My eldest two, Ella and Jack, especially, and I would hope Grace as well, aren't going to see me turn up in a big bright pink outfit, oinking, and go, hey, look at Daddy's a sheep, yeah? Well, I would have to, I would have to maybe, well, I would have to, to come with a good outfit, wouldn't I? And for my children to believe I was an actual real sheep, the older ones, wow, that would have to be a really good outfit, wouldn't it? I mean, I'm sure someone could make something especially good, some, some, you know, some sort of robotic sheep, and maybe for a minute, my well, son's shaking his head now because he thinks he's an animal expert, but I reckon there's something out there where I could maybe for a second, if I was far enough away, you might think I was a sheep, right? But when you get to a Bible-believing church like ours, those outfits have to be good, don't they? Yeah, they have to be good. Now, he said, he said they come to you in sheep's clothing, right? And obviously, he's talking about, you know, looking like a sheep, acting like a sheep, etc. The wolf can't look like a sheep and then bark instead of bleat, can he? Yeah? There's no, it's no point a wolf coming to a church like this, looking like men or women of God or even, you know, 
maybe not so much children of God unless they get a bit older, but, but there's no point in them looking like that and then howling at the moon, yeah? Because everyone's going to know what that is, right? In the same way that everyone's going to know if a wolf's in a sheep's outfit, if it starts acting like a wolf. Obviously, some do howl at the moon, but it usually takes a bit longer for you to see that, right? So, no, they have to act like sheep. They even have to pretend that they're eating grass, really. That's what, what a wolf would have to do. And in our case, that's the, the, the loud amens. That's, uh, you know, the, the preaching even sermons. That's uh, the prayers. Sometimes they go too far and, you know, and they want to be, pre you know, the prayers start to become five-minute prayers. That's even claiming to be reading, that's even reading the Bible. Like that wolf would have to be chewing on that cud to convince, you know, a wise sheep that he's a sheep. They have to look like, they have to start learning their Bible and everything else, yeah? But that's the whole point. They're in sheep's clothing. And, and I think people... People sometimes, they find this hard because maybe it's an ego thing that, well, I would have known. I would have seen, well, but look, they did this or they did that. Now, when they're revealed, when the tail pops out, when the ears poke out of the top, the stitching gets loose for whatever reason, when you see the sharp canines and the drool dropping off them, yeah? Now, what should happen is the wise sheep accept it, okay? The wise sheep accept it because... They've heard about it or they've seen it before, however hard it might be. And it, look, it can be hard, right? And, and the flesh doesn't want to, and the flesh doesn't want to think that maybe you've been conned. The flesh doesn't want to believe that, that really there are people like this, and it can be hard truths to take. But the wise sheep accept it. And I'm talking about our church members here, okay? I'm not talking about people from afar. Because, look, there are people that could have watched my sermon on Sunday and they, didn't, they, they haven't been here for the last 18 months. Okay, they haven't listened to my preaching for the last 18 months. They haven't seen the behaviour going on for the last 18 months and they sure as hell didn't see what happened on our off-air incident in our church here uh, the week before. So I'm talking about the people in our church and ultimately that's who I'm preaching to okay because I'm preaching to people in the church and for online really it's the people that because we have a church spread out around the country and even some members who would consider themselves members in Europe and that's who we're preaching to here okay and that's who really I care about here so those people that were maybe with them week in week out maybe once a month watching their behavior here not watching their behavior in another church not watching their behavior in the last church we may have been at with them, going, but you know, when they were at Bethel, they seemed all right. When they were at whatever church, you fill in the blank, you know, reprobate church in Brighton, whatever it was called, they seemed okay, well, whether or not you believe that or not. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about their behavior here, which for me has just been so clearly exposed. And even, and, and it's hard to put it to words in a sermon here, just even just what went on on that week before. Because what went on that week before was so just revealing, wasn't it? And not only the recorded conversation, but the behaviour, the behaviour in the church when the moths were just kind of flying off, you know, and, and melting under the heat, and, and it was just, wow. And, and that was pretty shocking for a lot of people. And I can't really do that credit in a sermon. So like I said, I'm preaching to the church here, but you've basically got two types of sheep. You've got, you've got the ones that don't get it, they're either young or naive, okay? They, they, 
or they just don't want to get it, okay? They just want to excuse it, they want to justify it, they want to justify all this behavior. And then you've got, unfortunately, and, and look, and again, this isn't, I'm not trying to say, right, if you don't agree with me 100%, hear me right here, but if you're in, a, if you're in our chair, if you witnessed everything that's gone on over the last 18 months, yeah, it's been brought to light, you've seen it all, and look, I, I, I agree, some of that might, like, when I, when, when I preach some of that, some people might be sitting and going, well, some of that was a bit petty, brother Ian, yeah, some of that, you know, kind of moaning about, you know, this or that, you know, when they're in the church, yeah, it, it, might, it might to some that are outside the church, but when you put it all together and all the behaviour we've seen, and by the way, that was only my two witness stuff. Look, I, I could, if I sat there and really took the time and went, forget the two witnesses, I'd have lists like this on everyone there. And I don't have that on anyone else in the church. Okay, I'm not sitting here just finding all little things. Oh, brother, whoever looked at me a little bit funny then, you know. Oh, he, a bit of a loud amen. Yeah, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a long list on these particular people, on each one that, that then I had to just trim down to just two witness stuff. And look, if you don't get it after that, I don't think you're going to get it, you know? But like I said, then you've got, you, look, you've got to understand this. There will be, okay? Did, did the Bible, has the Bible ever said, once you get rid of them, you're scot-free? It didn't. There will be ones that come in and, look, again, it's not to be a witch hunt. The likelihood is there will still be people that get exposed further down the line. And they're what we have to watch out for now, because right now we've had a crisis. We've had a big deal. We've kicked out eight couples. And in total, I think it works out to something like maybe 22 with children. OK, this is a good time for the devil to start trying to pull other people out, right? Yeah, because that's a time when people in the church might be a bit kind of shaken up, a little bit questioning, a little bit wondering. And that's a time when other wolves, maybe from the outside, maybe from the inside, will start trying to shake you. And one way that can happen is the ones that want to deny that there are such things as wolves in sheep's clothing. Because I tell you what, if I was a wolf in sheep's clothing, I would want to be convincing the sheep that there's no such thing as wolves in sheep's clothing. I wouldn't be going, yeah, I mean, it's terrible. They're everywhere, aren't they? You know, you better keep your eyes peeled. I'd be going, do you really think they were that bad? No. I've seen them get people saved. No, I'm just not buying it. Or whatever the answer is. Or really, could it have been that many, that many wicked people? I don't think all of them are. Yeah. And look, I'm not saying anyone that says that, that's it, they're wolf, but I'm saying that's the sort of thing I'd do if I was a wolf. Yeah, I'd be trying to just start to sow the seeds. Start to sow the seeds that maybe that was, maybe there's something up there. Maybe they weren't all that bad. Maybe we need to find a way to get them back in. Maybe we need to, you name it, yeah? And that's something we obviously have to watch out for right now. People that suddenly want to, yeah, well, you know, just really sad for them. Really sad. Just really miss them. Whoa, you know, look, I get it, yeah? It's a bit of a shock to some people. Some people, you know, they felt they were friends of these people. I'm not knocking you if you did, you know? That's why they are wolves in sheep's clothing. I know I've made the point that some of them were just so blatant it was ridiculous. But look, you know, that's the whole point, isn't it? We get conned, we get tricked, the flesh wants to believe that they're not. But if people are trying to just start to hint and suggest and try to push some sort of sorrow for them and everything else, that's something to raise your eyebrows, right? Yeah, people that just don't want to accept or acknowledge it at all, that's weird, okay? It's like, this, is, this has been a big deal, hasn't it? 
Okay, so turn to, turn to Jude, because the Bible's very clear about these types of people. And, uh, you know, we're on the topic right now. I'm not going to go on about this every week, but I, I am... My, my job now is to make sure that other people don't get swayed, don't get pulled out of the church. Look, if you want to leave the church, you're welcome to leave the church, but I'll do my best to try and not let the sheep get scattered by these wolves, okay? So let's have a little look at Jude. While you turn, I'm going to read uh, just quickly a couple of verses. First John 4, 1 says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Many, not some, many, many. Matthew 24, 11, talking of the start of the end times, says, and many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. So if you've been deceived, you're one of the many that gets deceived, okay? So don't, don't be too hard on yourself about that. It's not rare. There are many. And like I said on Sunday, this isn't just talking about a repent of your sins preacher. Yeah, there are many repent of your sins preachers. But I want to talk about the type that we've been dealing with, the infiltrator, because it could be a shock to think that they were sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you. That's pretty shocking, isn't it? That's pretty hard to take, and that's something that most people don't want to accept and don't want to take. Jude 1 and from verse 4 says, For there are certain men crept in unawares, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our Lord into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, lasciviousness is looseness, irregular indulgence of animal desires, wantonness, lustfulness. Okay, and again, those that knew some of these people can see that pretty clearly. Okay, look at verse 16. And that's the point, is because people can say, well, you know, some of those things, it went, so they had a little moan. So they had a little complaint, but it all goes hand in hand. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words. They're so holy. Having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. And I think I showed all of that on Sunday. Yeah, I showed all of that on Sunday. Look at verse 17. But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you that there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the spirit. So the Bible warns us time and time again. It literally describes these people to the T, doesn't it? To the T. And then cue the, I don't think they were that bad. It's sad to see them go. Where's the love? Where's the love? Yeah, it's just so hateful. It's just, you know, we should all be crying about it and everything else. No, look, once, once you know it's a wolf, you should be pleased to get rid of that wolf, shouldn't you? Yeah, I, I don't think the rest of the sheep are crying because the wolf gets shot by the farmer in the head yeah i don't think they're all just like sobbing and you know <laughs> that poor wolf and you know leaning over it going the poor thing i'm just so sad that we've lost one of the sheep family they're going it was a wolf thank god it's gone thank god that's the end of it right so by the way with that in case anyone sitting here going what is, is all the church like don't look the vast majority of our church are in no doubt anymore about any of them. I've talked to many people who have come to me and talked to me and given other testimony stuff, like I said, that was never even discussed on Sunday. Just so many things. I'm losing count of all the... Some, like I said, are 
red flags, some are massive red flags, some are just wicked behaviour. There's no other explanation for it with all our people that have been kicked out. So, look, for me, you know, it's, ultimately, there's a, we have a lot of strong people in our church. And, and, you know, and I'm not, again, this isn't to, I'm not trying to be clever here about this to make you feel like you must be weak if you don't agree. Just saying that a lot of us, strong Christians here are just like 100% all day long. Yeah, now it's been revealed, you could just see it. Yeah, no problem, okay? There's no issue with that. Well, how does Jesus tell us that we can know for sure who's the ravening wolf, though? So if you go back to Matthew chapter 7, and again, like I said, I'm not talking about people from afar, people in our church who have experienced the behaviour, witnessed the behaviour. Our pastor has a good term for these types of people sometimes. And, and some weren't, some maybe, some maybe were, he calls them uh, sleeper cell reprobates. Okay, so there are people that literally, it's like they're just kind of just quietly getting on with each other. We didn't really have that. But some maybe, maybe could, you know, some there are such things as that, who are just quietly going on with church life. And then it's like, bleep, they're activated. It's like, must destroy church, must destroy. And it's like, they're like this sleeper cell that's like no one knows about. And then it's just out of nowhere, they're activated. And people then are looking, going, but wait a second. Like, I remember they seem to be all right and everything else. So, look, I don't know. I don't know how that all works. But I know that, look, the last 18 months, what happened, everything that's gone on, that everyone, everyone here pretty much is, you know, just like, yeah, you know, it is what it is because ultimately it comes down to what the Bible says. So Jesus said in verse 16 there, ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. So what are the fruits here? Is he talking about the fruits of the Spirit? No, because they require us to deny the flesh and walk in the spirit, okay? And, and that's a daily battle and not automatic, is it, okay? Is he talking about getting people saved? Well, in a way, as getting someone saved does require someone saved, okay? So, obviously, Romans 1.17, you'd have to turn, it says, For there it is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And, and sadly, many Christians don't go on to get people saved though do they so is that like a great measuring stick you just go well he hasn't got anyone saved he must be a reprobate he hasn't got anyone saved he has got some saved no that, that's not how it works is it verse 18 jesus said a good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit so obviously some reprobate false prophet isn't going to get someone saved but it's not always easy to know who's saved and who's, who isn't is it Okay, and you, you can't always tell that. You could even have someone brought along to church. Wow, they've come to church, they must be saved, right? Well, they've come to church and they claim to believe they must be saved. But that doesn't mean anything, does it? Okay, God knows who's saved and who's not. And also, you could also argue who are real disciples. You go, well, all these people, you know, they claim. And, and, and also, who even got them saved? Like, for example, I spoke about ringing up a lady who theoretically was saved by someone at our church who turned out was saved but said no they said this but I've since learnt this now but that person could have come to our church at some point said they're saved oh, great disciple well done praise God you know and everything else and maybe thought well I won't mention that they were saying this now 
That person could have been one of the many that hadn't had a false gospel given to them, that had a witness, yeah, that, that was just had a witness there, that, that one of you's gone out soul winning with someone, someone's theoretically got saved, gone away, listened to something else, listened to some good follow-up stuff, listened to, 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 the, to the gospel by someone who is saved, put their faith in Jesus Christ, it comes along and everyone's like, look, look, convert, salvation. So it's, a very, it's not a very easy measuring stick to use, is it? Now, here's the thing, though, as well, is what this really is talking about is what comes out of their mouth. Now, the result being salvation or not, ultimately, because that's really what it's talking about, because, because someone's, you know, some people go, I, I remember an old pastor going, I mean, these people were swearing, are they even saved? And it's like, well, what are you talking about? Yeah, that's not what it's talking about. You know, what it's talking about is, is things which to do with salvation, damnable heresies, things like that. But the result of what comes out of our mouths also can result in salvation, can't it? Because it has to be preached. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Turn to Matthew 12, where Jesus is accused of being possessed by the Pharisees. So this is Matthew chapter 12 and verse 24. Matthew 12, 24. So, but when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub the prince of the devil. So I want you to jump forward now to verse 31. Jesus kind of gives them a bit of a explanation as to firstly why they're wrong. And he explains that this is reprobate stuff, calling Jesus possessed. That's the point. A uh, brother was saying to me about how at one of these charismatic churches telling me the other day that they basically, if you go, tongues ain't, <laughs> ain't of the Holy Spirit, oh, be careful. You're blaspheming the Holy Spirit, yeah? So this is quite a good, like, just kind of, you can't say anything against anything we're claiming because you might be blaspheming the Holy Spirit and therefore lose your salvation. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about saying that Jesus Christ is possessed, yeah? Is possessed with a devil. That's blaspheming the Holy Spirit, not saying that some wicked possessed tongue speakers are possessed, yeah? That's clearly not blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Okay, so he said... He said, wherefore I say unto you, in verse 31, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. So obviously that's not losing your salvation. It's going beyond being able to get saved. Yeah? And whosoever speaketh a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. Either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt, for the tree is known by his fruit. Okay, so what's coming forth from the tree, right? Verse 34, O generation of vipers, how can ye being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, there shall give account of in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. It's our words that get people saved. That's why Proverbs 11.30 says the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life and he that winneth souls is wise the fruit isn't the saved person the fruit is what gets them saved the words that come out of your mouth that's what I believe turn to Luke 6 which is a parallel passage to Matthew 7 Luke 6 and from verse 43 Luke 6 43 
the Bible reads, for a good, this is Jesus speak, for a good tree bringeth not forth corrupt fruit, neither doth a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. For every tree is known by his own fruit. For of thorns men do not gather figs, nor of a bramble bush gather they grapes. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth, forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. So, the point being that it's what comes out of your mouth and eventually what someone really believes will start to come out of their mouth. And look, it's generally easier with a preacher. Why is it generally easier with a preacher? Because they're speaking for hours at a time. Because when you're listening to a preacher, you can listen to them preaching three hours on average a week, coming out of their mouth and just preaching and preaching and preaching. And eventually, if they believe in some damnable heresy, it's going to come out of their mouth sooner rather than later. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh, right? But verse 16 here, Jesus said, ye shall know them by their fruits. Sorry, back to Matthew 7. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Here's a question. Did we ever see Judas preach damnable heresy? Anyone see that in the Bible? No. Don't see it anywhere, do you? Okay, and look, Judas, Judas was with them for three and a half years, was, was with Jesus Christ for three and a half years. He didn't preach any damnable heresy. Now, I, I think maybe he eventually would have done. I believe maybe he would have done. I don't know how long it would have taken. But he made three and a half years without any record of it in the Bible, right? Absalom spent 40 years trying to con the people. And again, we don't see any record of damnable heresy coming from, from Absalom. I know some argue that maybe he's a sociopath. I believe he's, he was a reprobate. I believe that's why David's mourning so much his death as well. Unlike maybe his unborn, or sorry, his newly born child where he's saying, look, he knows that he will go to him, right? But again, you know, there's different opinions on that. But you have to compare here. So yes, the damnable heresy eventually comes out with these people. Okay, I believe it sh will do eventually with time. And that's one way of knowing for sure is what comes out of the mouth. But there's another way, obviously, that Jesus Christ didn't mention. If, for example, unclean lusts show that someone, that's a good way of knowing that someone is basically a false prophet of some form. And look, it's not saying that, look, all, all sodomites aren't, aren't necessarily false prophets or have anything to do with the things of God. But look, that's one that can be one indication can't it as well if someone is like that we're going to know for sure that they are what we would call a false prophet yeah some sort of infiltrator obviously mentioned famously in Romans 1 and Jude it describes it as defiling the flesh yeah talking about these types of people now turn to 2 Timothy 3 because this gives us other trademarks of these people because sometimes look you're not going to get that 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 damnable heresy but you are going to get other behavior which just fits what the bible says clearly right okay second timothy chapter three and from verse one second timothy three one says this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come for men shall be lovers of their own selves okay listen to this bit lovers of their own selves covetous boasters proud blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. Okay, there's a lot of interesting stuff on that list, isn't there? Right? 
especially the, the, the beginning parts which, you know, are clear as day. Lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud. I mean, just so those, you know, the three of those four are almost like the similar thing, mentioned in just different ways. And we've seen a lot of that, haven't we? Okay, a lot of that. Covet lovers of their own selves, boasters and proud, and obviously the covetous thing as well. We've just been seeing that coming out with all different things coming out about people. Okay, blasphemers are disobedient to parents. We don't know necessarily with that. The unthankful, the unholy. And look, there's a lot of wickedness going on, wasn't there? A lot of just bizarre stuff. Look at verse 3, without natural affection. Okay, and again, we, we've seen some bizarre stuff, haven't we, with parenting and things, which, like, I'm, I, I'll, I'll tell you now, I am going to preach on some of these things because some of it was so, so, like, poisonous to our church was because there was this kind of, this group that were, at least, at least there was one very large family and people that people were looking up to and new mums were looking up to and others thinking, and, and some of the stuff that, that was going on was just was wicked, wicked but it was being pushed and promoted on people and and that's a you know it wasn't just to try and split the church it's trying to poison the church as well without natural affection and a couple of families were just I would say three were just so obvious with that for sure truce breakers false accusers funny that rings a bell incontinent okay that's basically not being able to keep their own lusts and, th and again like lots of wickedness fierce we saw that, we've seen that, despisers of those that are good. Yeah, look, I'm not saying just, yeah, I'm just so good. You know, obviously they hate, they hate leadership either way anyway. But, but again, you know, when you started to see the way that they were with certain people in the church, people that maybe seemed more loyal to, you know, there was some pretty wicked behaviour going on. Traitors. And look, we're back to now what we saw at the beginning, heady, high-minded. And look, it's so, like the pride is so wicked, isn't it? Yeah, and, and look how many times it's, des it's described here in different ways. And again, like it was so like just, just oozing out of these people, wasn't it? Heady, high-minded, and they were, you know, traitorous really, traitorous to their church. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness... Yeah, but denying the power thereof. And I think we will see that with time or we would have seen that with time. And I think, oh, I think ultimately that's probably talking about the gospel. But you could say as well, just kind of like deny, you know, as much of the praise gods, ultimately it was constantly trying to lift themselves up, etc. From such turn away. Okay, we're told to keep away from these people. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers lust. And that's obviously what they go for a lot of the time. Um, they, they attack the women, try and get those women ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Okay, because they are given over. Now, as Jannes and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. But I like verse 9, but they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men. As <laughs> also was. And their folly was manifest unto all men, wasn't it? And, and look, just again, because I know I've already started to get an inkling of just little sort of sense of whispering here and there. Look, the, like standing up in a church, yeah, and just bearing false witness, just lying through your teeth. I mean, the boldness to do that's one thing, isn't it? Like, it's, it's not oh, just a bit of railing. 
just a little bit of, yeah, just, just kind of, you know, just wanted to leave, just, just couldn't resist a little bit. Like, it's a fleshly thing. I'm just a bit of a lot. Like, it's wicked as anything, isn't it? Because we all know what the goal was. And I know when you relay the story, it could just sound like, what, like, like, what? So they're trying to pretend so much, yeah, they said you shouted when they didn't. No, that wasn't the point. And everyone who was here knew that wasn't the point. I mean, they were saying, and even after they were proving, they're shouting out, this is when he does it. This, even after that, he must have edited the, like, we've heard this a couple of times now. He must have edited the recording. <laughs> so, like, and by the way, anyone who even has their head turned slightly about, who honestly thinks that I would stand behind this pulpit, play a recording, having edited it, and like, honestly, you'd be better off in another church, because if that's what you honestly think I'd do, I don't even know how you would do that with a five-way conversation. I have no, I, honestly, I have no, I remember Brother John laughed and went, by the way, you wouldn't have any idea because <laughs> he knows I'm not really the most technologically minded with these sorts of things. But like, how on earth would you do that and stand behind a pulpit and do that? I mean, it's so ridiculous, isn't it? Yet, they, the people will never stop. But look, if, again, like that will be trying to sway. And, and obviously, they're messaging that to the outer sheep because they go for those that are already a bit on the outside. People that maybe haven't been at church much people that aren't so regular, people that maybe look like they can be caught or something and they'll start trying to get that. Okay, so obviously that's ridiculous and I don't think I ever, I'd happily offer for it to be, I think Brother John said, you could have something analysed, you know, because it shows like, yeah. Anyone ever wants to do that, you're welcome. But, you know, I will question your sanity if you ask me that. But again, you know, that's not a warning because I have no problem with that. But it's ridiculous. What's really funny, though, when it was actually a 40-minute conversation. This is like one of the lies they came out with afterwards, yeah. I can't remember who. Either they said it to our past or someone else. We believe it was a 40-minute conversation, which is really funny because in, in one of Ben Frank, Franklin's railing letters, it said... Um, I would literally never let someone, would you let someone shout at your wife in a small room for 30 minutes? So, but apparently, actually, it was 40 minutes, and somehow I edited out 30 minutes of shouting in that 40 minutes, and 10 minutes extra. Anyway, right, so, London nonsense. But their folly was manifest unto all men, however much they'll try and poison the, the naive and the weak after that. Okay, so... Right, here's a big question about this sort of thing. And we're not, like I said, we're not going to go on about this so much. What I do want to do is try and preach on some of the, in the future, I'm going to preach this on some of the things which were getting pushed on our church members over that time. And obviously I was trying to hit stuff a lot. Someone said to me today, they listened to an old sermon and looking back now, you could just see everything. Like, like I said, I've been preaching this stuff for 18 months. Yeah, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, and, and preach against a lot of the stuff that I felt was being pushed on church members. And I want to kind of go over some of this stuff because a little leaven does leaveneth the whole lump. But here's the question. Do these people know what they're doing? So a lot of people question this, don't they? They say, do they know exactly what they're doing? Do they admit to themselves, for example, that they are just wicked, vile reprobates? Do, do, do these people, because we've got obviously a, a kind of case study here, how, did these people go away, maybe listen to my preaching? Have they gone away after that and just gone, got caught out? Was it like, was it like, uh, and I'm sorry to, to go to like a worldly illustration here. Was it like Scooby-Doo, where like the mask came off and they're like, if it hadn't been for those pesky kids, you know, we would have got away with it. Was it like that? I don't believe so. I don't believe with these types of people it is. So if you... Um, if you go back to Matthew 7, because when it comes to the work salvationist false prophets, 
which it's talking about here, and I don't know exactly what every type of, of the ones we've had are, it seems that they've convinced themselves that they're right with God. Have you noticed that? Look at verse 21. He said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Now, of course, Jesus isn't talking about following all of the commandments, as that's impossible. And we'll contradict the tons of salvation verses. Turn to 2 Peter 3, which I... I I was looking at this and I prefer 2 Peter 3 for this. I know John 6.40 is a nice verse to show that it's God's will that everyone has everlasting life. And this is the will of him that sent me. This is John 6.40. That everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life and I'll raise him up at the last day. So his will is that everyone has everlasting life. But doing the will of his Father... Well, I think 2 Peter 3.9 makes that clear. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So his will is not that any should perish, his will is that all should come to repentance. And obviously no one here is wondering, Sammy, we've all got to stop sinning because obviously we've gone at length over what repentance is. His will isn't that we perish, but that we come to repentance, a change of mind, a turning from what we did believe to faith in Christ Jesus. Okay? So go back to Matthew 7, where these are a group of people that haven't done his will and believed. Yeah, They haven't done that. But it's not just unsaved people. And obviously some people will use this, and I've done this before in gospel presentations, just to show kind of the unsaved and what they're trusting. But really, they're described at the end as ye that work iniquity, right? And he's, he's basically still talking about false prophets, which is the context of this part of his sermon. Math, uh, Psalm 5.5, 5, you know, Turner says, The foolish shall not stand in thy sight, thou hatest all workers of iniquity. Okay, workers of iniquity is another name for reprobates, for sons of Belial, children of the devil. God hates these false prophets, okay? He doesn't just hate the unsaved, they're his enemies. Psalm 92.9 says, For lo, thine enemies, O Lord, for lo, thine enemies shall perish, all the works of iniquity shall be scattered. Okay, so again, it, they're, they're described as his enemies, he hates them. These false prophets here convince themselves that they're right, that they're men and women of God. Look what they say here in verse 22. Many, many, and there's a lot of them, by the way, okay? In case you're wondering, many, he's talking about false prophets here, will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name have done many wonderful works. So that's false prophets, workers of iniquity, in that day saying, but look what we've done. Look at what we've done, Lord, Lord. Not going, <laughs> we destroyed it, we did what we could to just destroy God and his people and everything else. No, they actually have convinced themselves that they're doing the will of God here. And that, I think, goes back to the pride, goes back to the high-minded, to the headiness, goes back to the arrogance, goes back to the boasting, goes back to all that part of them. They cannot accept, they will never accept. I could preach this stuff, I could send it, I could, make, I could tie them down and, and, and literally just preach it out the Bible, just link it all, and they, do you think they'd sit there and go, yeah, mask off, got me, bang to rights, never. And that's why when they get exposed, these people, they don't just kind of ride off into the sunset and try and hit maybe, maybe I'll go to an old IFB church which has a gospel right and just do what I can do there because I've kind of been a bit, you know, my, my mask off now amongst NIFB churches. No, they just spend their life 
attacking, slandering, setting up false, you know, YouTube accounts and, and, and or even if they're bold enough channels where they just preach whatever it is and constantly trying to convince everyone that they were wronged and that they're actually men and women of God. And what's bizarre is that because deep down they know that they don't really believe the gospel or they don't believe, you know, that, which is the gospel ultimately, that, that the Trinity or they don't believe in everlasting torment in hell or whatever it is that they don't believe, they don't believe in eternal security really, they're still in a church pretending they do. But maybe they convinced themselves that people here are just a bit naive about that part of it and maybe eventually they would have been able to persuade them or something like that, right? So whatever it is, but they, but they, because they, they have to convince themselves. Now, they, I reckon they'll have times because I've actually heard out of some of these people's mouths or, or they said to other people that they questioned and wondered whether they were a reprobate. But then maybe the pride just kicks in, maybe the headiness, the high-minded, and then they convince themselves they're not. But because without that, I, I, look, and I'm not, that's what I believe by reading this with these types of people. Okay, look, there are the reprobates that we, you and I and many have come up to where you try and preach the gospel and they turn around and, and go, I know I'm going to hell. And you go, well, like, you know, why? And they just go, because I'm a sodomite or I'm a lesbian or whatever they say. And they say, I know I'm going to hell. And you go, see you later. You know, and, and look, there are people that know, aren't there? And they know what they are. But, but these types, these workers of iniquity, these work salvationists he's talking about here, they convince themselves, don't they? And that's why that repentant your sins preacher isn't going to turn around and go, now he knows what he should be saying and he knows what the Bible says and he'll spout the right, the right verses, but then deep down, he'll then believe in this repent of your sins and... and it's bizarre, isn't it, really? I mean, I, I, again, I can't, you can't get in their mind, really, can you? But what I do know is that from, this, from these verses here, in that day, they're saying to, to the Lord Jesus Christ, but look at what we've done. They're not saying, yeah, I know I was a reprobate. I was just sneaking around trying to... So I, I don't know how that all works. I don't know if, like, you know, the devils inside them are, like, driving them to do certain things. They don't even know. They're just so full of wickedness. They're just happy to indulge the flesh. I don't really know. But what I do know is that they somehow convince themselves. And that's why the railing will never stop. That's why, the, the, you know, that we will event... And, and the more, like, obviously we're here now, we've got people that literally... what. It probably always did hate us to some degree, but, but now, like, you know, the gloves are kind of off, aren't they? So, look, it will continue and there will be attacks and there will be slanders, there will be things that come and come because they will never accept it, you know, and they'll, they'll just basically put it all onto me or whoever else, you know, in the church, my wife or whoever else is the reason that they're out and not just accept because people just cannot accept, can they? Here, it doesn't seem like they accept what they are and what they believe. So... Okay, like I said, I think it goes hand in hand being lovers of their own selves, boasters, proud, unthankful, heady, high-minded. Okay, they, they'll keep trying to convince you and themselves that they're holy, okay? And we've seen that, obviously, they just, even through it all, you know, it, it's just convincing, just trying their best, even afterwards, messaging people, trying to convince everyone all around them that they're actually holy. It doesn't matter what's been exposed, what you've shown, what they've done, they are so holy because they, they, they can't accept that. But it's weird, obviously, whilst knowing that they don't really believe in grace through faith. So just a bizarre conundrum, interested in what you guys think about that, how that works. But moving on, yeah, moving on from that now. So we're, we're going to finish off this, this chapter. We're going to finish off Jesus Christ's sermon here, known as the, the Sermon on the Mount. 
and he goes into the conclusion. So he, if, you, if you remember, he's preached about these different ways of, you know, of living. He's preached about, obviously, what the work salvationists have preached. He preached early on in the, in the sermon. He's preached you know, some real practical things for life as well and how we should live and not, like, not blowing the trumpet when we do things. He's now preached on, on the false prophets as well and warned everyone about the false prophets. Okay and warned that basically these people are going to still, they're self-righteous, they still think they're right, they still even believe somehow that they're going to get into heaven based on their works, it's absolutely ridiculous. Yet they're still in sheep's clothing, it's just this bizarre conundrum, isn't it, that you only ultimately can take by faith, right? Because if you sit there and you go, i just got to get into their mind, and you can't do it. The normal person can't do that, because they're wicked, their minds are full of all sorts, all sorts of sin and wickedness and justification and self-righteousness and pride along with all this wicked lust and everything else so we can't really get in their mind all we ultimately all we have to do is take it by faith by faith in what the bible says okay then we get into the conclusion the conclusion now is what 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 jesus christ finishes with is therefore whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them i will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell not for it was founded upon a rock and everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell and great was the fall of it what are you going to going to build your house on and really meaning your life yeah what are you going to build your life upon? You can build it on that solid rock, on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ's statutes and commandments. And, you know, uh, when I think about foundations, it makes me think of kind of patios and driveways, OK? Because I used to do a bit of patios and driveways. So I'm going to bore you with patios and driveways here a little bit. You basically, you've got the tried and tested scalpings, or they call it sometimes type one crushed concrete, where they've got a certain amount of thicker concrete and then thinner concrete, like, like more powdery concrete, which just compacts together and makes this lovely just crushed concrete sub-base, yeah? Brilliant for laying driveways, brilliant for, lay, for, laying, um, for laying patios as well. Now, when you lay a driveway, the old rule of thumb was really six inches of crushed concrete. And now some would say, well, at least four inches. And, you know, that's kind of old money for maybe some of you youngsters here. That's kind of 100 to 150 millimetres, all right? So six inches is approximately 150 millimetres. So you're talking like something like sort of this sort of depth. If you think like half, maybe a, a, a 30 centimetre ruler is six inches, okay? Of crushed concrete, right? Okay, and, and you would lay, you'd dig out what was there. You'd lay your six inches of, of crushed concrete and you would compact that down with a whacker plate usually as well, unless you really want to go along with a tamper for a long time and kill yourself. And you'd compact this down and you'd do many passes over it and you'd just get it nice and compact. Then you'd lay some sand over the top. Maybe some might even use crushed glass, whatever else. And with, when it's block paper, you lay your blocks and depending on what you're laying, depending on what you do in between that crushed concrete, okay? Now, when you lay it like that and you dig down and you do those proper footings, yeah, and you lay that six inches of crushed concrete, it, it, it doesn't go anywhere. And look, I, I, you know, I'm not trying to, I wasn't the best, I wasn't the quickest, I didn't have the best. I'll tell you what though, because I did it properly, because I, you know, that was my, as far as I was concerned, I did it properly, every work I did was word of mouth. I wasn't turning up and trying to undercut and do the cheapest price possibly. My driveways never went anywhere. I've still driven past driveways recently that I did like 15, 
years ago, and there's still not one tyre track in them, just because I'd put the right footings in. But then you've got the fly-by-night cowboy who knocks on the door and says, I could do that driveway for two grand, yeah? And it's like, how on earth? Because just to dig it out and dispose of six inches worth of material soil and put in that is like, that's already that money gone, let alone without your blocks and without all the labor and everything else. So you think, how do they even do that? I'll tell you how they do it, because they don't put in deep footings. Because what they do is they come and just skim off the top, put down a quick bit of, you know, an inch or two of type one, lay the blocks it looks beautiful at the beginning and you know and you'd see these guys doing it you turn up you know you're spending their laboring they're down the road doing a driveway you drive past a month later and it's got the tire tracks in it and it's and they've got a delivery van comes on their drive and it's already got sinking where the tires were they have a four-wheel drive no chance you know someone backs into their drive to to, to turn around and and they're in a heavy motor and they've just ruined their drive and what a shame, isn't it? And, and what was the problem? Well, they never, they never put that, the, the footings in. They never built it upon really what ultimately becomes a rock. That crushed concrete is just so solid and it's so compact. And the reason you have the crushed stuff in between, otherwise you'd have it, it would all be bumping everything else. You could just get this flat surface of good footings, okay? Now, that's just a driveway, yeah? Now imagine that's a house, yeah? But Imagine with your house, you just didn't, you just were like, now nah, just get the guy that comes in and go, does a couple of inches. That'd be pretty tragic, wouldn't it? Well, what Jesus said here, he said in verse 24, therefore whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell not for it was founded upon a rock. Now here's a question, would it have been worth me laying those, those driveways properly for just one half? Would it have been worth it if I'd, if I'd gone to that, that house and say, you know, that customer, you know, was just, you know, would do whatever you want to do, you know? And, and, and one of the issues, a lot of people were just trying to get it cheap. So they'd just end up with a driveway that would need redoing and look to mess within a month or two with, with the cars driving the same spot. But would it have been worth me going, I'm going to do it well, and then just doing half the driveway with the crushed concrete six inches and the rest with two inches? wouldn't be worth it, would it? Why? Because it's still just going to make a mess of colour. What about three quarters of the driveway doing it well and leaving a quarter? Would it be worth it? No, because it's still going to ruin the driveway, isn't it? The driveway's still going to sink and be a mess and be a useless driveway. What about one little square of that driveway? I was like, yeah, I've run out of the type one, the crushed concrete. I'm just going to use a bit of mud for that little square. What's going to happen to that little square? It's going to sink, isn't it? It's going to sink. It's going to, it's going to, basically still ruin that driveway because you're going to have a massive pothole in the middle of your driveway. People are going to twist their ankles in it, cars are going to get, maybe tires are going to get stuck in it, etc. Well, he said in, uh, he said in verse 24 here, therefore, therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, it's plural, it's plural, yeah? Whosoever heareth these sayings, it's no good going, well, for example, because the sayings is specifically, he's talking about his sermon. You know, I, I'm, I'm shining my light. I'm shining my light. I'm going out and preaching the gospel. But you're committing adultery. Even with your eye. Yeah, you're lustfully looking upon women everywhere you go. Well, your house still ain't built upon that solid rock. You basically got that little patch. Maybe it's a big patch, a big area. Maybe it's that corner of the house where it's just on mud. The house is still going to fall, isn't it? Yeah, oh, well, the rest of it was good concrete, 
three quarters of the house was great. I just shoved that last, that last bit, I run out, so I just shoved a bit of clay under there and hope for the best. Same with the driveway, right? It's just going to be a mess. It's going to ruin it. You know, I'm not doing my arms before men. He said not to do your arms to be seen of men, right? I'm not doing my arms to be seen of men, but I'm still serving mammon. Well, you're still going to end up destroying your life, aren't you? It's still going to end up being a mess. And if you want that strong house, you want to withstand the storms of life, which is what he's talking about here, then you need to be as close, as close to 100% rocker's footings as, as basically possible. Yeah, look, yeah, you're not going to be 100% right, but you need to try your best, right? Like, look, you might, I'm, I wasn't the best, look, I wasn't the best landscaper, yeah? But I tell you what, if I tried my best on those jobs, and I knew, I knew that those jobs would end up lasting and being good, right? But if I, if I purposely skimped, I purposely just went, forget that saying of Jesus Christ, yeah? Forget that, forget that bit, forget the deep footings in that part. I know it's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna fail, right? And we have to try, you can't, you can't pick and choose, can you? You can't because all of these things, he said sayings, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them. Not whoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth some of them. Whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and does the things that are easier for them. And that's ultimately why, as, as the Christian life, you're constantly trying to improve, aren't you? Constantly looking, and that's what we should be doing. We should be listening to preaching, re listening, reading our Bibles and going, right, I, I need to get that right. It's like, oh, well, I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right in these parts. So, you know, we're all sinners. I heard one of our, one of our you know, who had been kicked out. Yeah, well, we're all sinners though, aren't we? You know, type attitude. Yeah, we are all sinners. Yeah, of course, we are all sinners. Yeah, we all... But you know what? We should be trying though, shouldn't we? We're not trying to just constantly justify ourselves. We should be trying our best, yeah? Trying our best because we shouldn't be purposely building that house upon loose sand or mud or whatever else. Because then what happens? Well, he said here, and everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not, yeah? Not, not doeth, doeth not some of them, doeth them not. And look, I'll include, look, kids here as well, yeah? You're building your house already. You're building your life right now. You kids are sitting here listening to, to the preaching, okay? You're not just, it, it's not that you're just, well, yeah, I'll wait till I'm older for that. Well, I'll wait till I'm older till I build my house. You're building your house already because you're setting yourself up for life here. And praise God, you're sitting in a church listening to the Word of God preach. But I'll tell you what, if you're just picking and choosing bits and pieces, go, ah, well, you know, I'll wait till I'm older to get that bit right. That already you're starting to build your house on shaky ground or loose ground because some things are really hard to get out of when you get older. Okay, We've, habit, habit forming starts from young, doesn't it, right? So he said here, doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. That would be foolish, wouldn't it, right? And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Now, things might look rosy for a while, but the rain will come, won't it? And by the way, it's looked pretty rosy in the UK for a while, hasn't it? Wow, I mean, I, don't, I can't remember a summer like this. But the rain will come. In case anyone's wondering, the rain will come. <laughs> yeah. And the floods will, will likely come, yeah? The floods will come, and the winds, you know, will come. Right? And a house falling is a terrible sight. Anyone ever seen that happen? Anyone ever looked at any of the like tsunami footage and things like that when it happened? I mean, it's, it's scary, isn't it? Watching that happen and watching that house fall. And that, look, you don't want your life to fall like that. And if you're just ignoring bits and pieces when the winds and the rain and the floods and everything comes, you're going to fall. And we don't want to fall. 
and let's, let's just look at the last bit because we're out of time now. And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. And there is an authority that comes with the word of God, isn't there? Have you ever noticed people like get irritated by that when you're preaching the gospel on the door? Like, oh, why do you, you know, almost like, why are you so confident that that's, you know, because they, they notice it, don't they? There's authority that comes when you're just saying, well, this is what the Bible says. Thus saith the Lord, yeah? This is how you, oh, well, you know, and then sometimes you get people go, oh, yeah, he's so arrogant or something. It's like, no, I just know what the word of God says, you know? And you get people that get upset by it, don't they? And try and, try and then shoot the messenger. But there's an authority that comes with the word of God. Jesus Christ had an authority that scribes couldn't have, couldn't, could they? Because it seems like the majority of them were preaching work salvation and were, they were teaching for doctrines the commandments of men, weren't they? Whereas Jesus Christ was preaching the word of God and there's an authority there that, that people were astonished at, weren't they? They were astonished at the authority that, that came from someone who basically was, while he was preaching, writing the word of God ultimately as well, wasn't he? Because a lot of this isn't necessarily, you know, stuff that he was, that was coming from the Old Testament. He was basically preaching the living word of God and they're just astonished at that. And people are still astonished by the living word of God when we preach it. And that's why when we go to the door, when we preach the gospel week, and, and when I preach from behind a pulpit here, and anyone that preaches behind this pulpit and other pulpits in time to come can preach with an assurance and an authority that comes from knowing that it's the word of God, right? And that's what Jesus Christ is doing there. And, and that's something that we should all do when we preach the word of God. And, and um, I'm, I'm going to finish up there. That's, um, I, I, that's a great passage of scripture, right? And some great truths there as well. And, and a great lesson to be learned at the end there, I believe, as well. And uh, on that, let's go to the Lord in the word of prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for um, this great passage of scripture. Thank you for the truths that we can learn from that. Thank you for, um, you know, for your warnings of things we need to look out for. Thank you for for just making it so clear, you know, the sorts of people that we have to deal with as Christians, but, but also help us to be confident and sure, knowing that you know, their folly shall be made manifest unto all men, as there's also was talking about Janis and Jambres there. And look, we, we don't have to fear either. We know that you come through. You have come through for us at this church. You'll continue to come through for us. Um, we thank you for that. We thank you for, um, thank you for this church. Thank you for the many blessings you've given us. Help us to build our house upon that, that rock. Help us to, knowing that we're continually building that house, to, to, to just make sure that we're constantly doing it on the right footings, the sure footings, which are the rock, which is the Lord Jesus Christ and, and your commandments, your word. Help us to do that. Um, as we go forward this week, help us to, to all return on Sunday for, for another day in your house. In Jesus' name we pray all of this. Amen.